Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. After you get to a point where you're able to acquire a thousand customers a day sustainably and at reasonable prices, then how do you take those customers and service them further? How do you come up with products that feed those customers after what they've already bought if it's not a high consumption product? How do you think through unique partnerships that attract eyeballs that then give you the opportunity to sell those customers onto your brand? Brands large and small are all fighting the same battle of customer acquisition. How you reach customers and how much that costs is in constant flux, which is why Nick Sharma is a big fan of constantly running micro experiments. Nick is the CEO of Sharma Brands, a company that remains one of the best kept secrets among the D2C community and which helps brands scale into the tens of millions. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Nick takes us behind the scenes of what that scaling process looks like including his strategies around customer acquisition. Nick explains how important constant testing is, and he shares some micro-experiments he recommends running regularly. Plus, he tells us why reading every review and every comment associated with your brand is the best leaping off point for your creative process. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder at mission.org. Today, we're hanging out with Nick Sharma, the CEO of Sharma Brands. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. If we had video on, I would be trying to look at your whiteboard that you had on with probably a thousand notes on it. It's got all the secrets. Yeah, like what what kind of secrets are on that board? I was really trying to zoom in, like what's going on back there? (laughs) It's got all the the goals for the week, starting with nine hours of sleep. That's a good goal. All the way to um, how we plan to combat Facebook and Apple's big fight that that's going to start January 15th. Oh, and tell me a little bit about the big fight. I'm obviously not up to date on that. What's going on? Yeah. So basically in the new iOS update, Apple is going to give pretty much everybody multiple opportunities to block tracking. Yep. And so it's really going to hurt attribution for a lot of these ad platforms, especially for small business ad platforms like Facebook ads, Snapchat, et cetera. Yep. And um, so, you know, we're, we're basically starting to think through how we combat that going into the new year, because a lot of the businesses we work with, they're either brands that are just starting. And uh, obviously those are small businesses, but there's also some mid-sized businesses doing anywhere from, you know, 200 to 800 million in revenue, but they're also going to be just as affected. Yep. And so we're trying to think through how we, uh, you know, how we go about combating that going into the new year. 
basically making sure that there's there's not a ton of drop off as it relates to the client. So yeah, I didn't realize this was happening so soon. I mean, I was kind of paying attention a bit to the, you know, taking away cookies and tracking and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't realize the iOS update was happening January 15th. So what are you guys thinking? Like, you know, what's your strategy? What are you advising your brands to do? I know I just jumped right into it, but this is very interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, as of right now, you know, it's it's a little bit up in the air. We have a few ideas going of, of how to combat it. But to be honest, there's not a ton of information out that we have to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to work with multiple different ad tech partners to understand how they view the impact, you know, happening. But at the same time, we're trying to think through, you know, how do we basically start creating our first party audience sets, you know, much faster than, than you know, running ads when we need them. Mm-hmm. So whether that's by creating kind of a, a, what I would call like a prospecting CRM versus just a customer centric CRM, you know, post-purchase yep. or trying to think through, you know, how do we, how do we still drive lower funnel conversion and attribute those sales properly, even though they might not be last click purchases. Got it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a big cluster, um, cluster of unknowns right now. Yeah. That's tricky. I also wonder to what extent will, you know, a user maybe turn that feature off and then start to realize maybe how helpful that feature was when it comes to, you know, showcasing you the information that you want to see, or maybe ads that actually are helpful. Because I think right now, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, I want privacy and I want this and I want that. But if you were to turn off a lot of the features that you're talking about, then you wouldn't really get the customized experience that, you know, people do oftentimes appreciate in Google and other places. Definitely. So I wonder what that'll look like. <laughs> yeah. Most of the people I've talked to have, have basically said a similar thing that, you know, they like the personalization and, and whatnot that comes with it, but there is definitely a, you know, a pretty big group of people who would, who would rather prefer that they never get targeted with an ad. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that's kind of the threat to a lot of the small business advertisers out there. Interesting. Well, when you guys have a little more insight into that, I'll have to bring you back and hear how you guys are approaching it, depending on what happens January 15th. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. So give me a little background on Sharma Brands. So I was seeing that you guys work with a lot of brands, some of which we've actually had on the show before, which is really cool to see. We've had House on, and I think I saw two others. Uh, but tell me a bit about what is Sharma Brands and what do you guys do for the brands that you work with? So Sharma Brands is kind of like the the secret of the internet. We don't really talk about it much publicly, Uh but basically what we do is we work with um, brands that are either just launching or have just launched. Um, So we either guide them through the launch or we take, pick them up right after launch. We work with brands that are midsize, you know, brands that are doing really well and ideally want to do better. Or we work with brands that are, you know, pretty big retail businesses that want to, you know, get their e-commerce business set up and on track and so, um, you know, we come in and handle everything from strategy to execution to implementation to, you know, a lot of it is testing. A lot of it is uh, focused on creative and messaging and uh, offer testing, merchandising. But we also do everything all the way to, you know, producing national TV spots, um, satellite radio, like basically helping brands kind of venture out from the more traditional just Facebook ads or, uh, you know, building a website. Got it. And what inspired you to create Sharma Brands? I mean, I saw you had a lot of roles. You know, you were the head of D2C for a couple of companies. I think you worked at Hint. Uh, so is that kind of what led you to creating Sharma Brands? Or tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I've i kind of always had a knack for, um, 
wanting to work on multiple brands, which is probably why Sharma Brands works. Mm -hmm. And uh, but separate from that, you know, I I don't think there's really a and I I don't know if we are even the perfect solution. I don't think we are because we don't really do everything. But, you know, there's not really like a proper growth partner for a lot of these brands. There are media media agencies, there's media companies, there are creative agencies, there are, you know, product development agencies, but there's really not many when it comes to true growth and helping them in, in things like scaling, you know, going from a 1 million to 10 million or 10 million to 60 million. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of created this little niche where we help brands do just that. You know, we, we, we try to stay on for no longer than six months per project. And our goal is to basically get in and do, you know, just an insane amount of testing um, so that by the time we leave, that brand knows exactly what's going to scale and what's not going to scale. What kind of testing do you mean? Like, what do you do um, throughout those six months to figure that out? It can be anything from copy, creative, landing pages, uh, long form content. You know, when I say creative, I'm there's like a whole variety of creative. There's the things like we might test UGC, we might test influencers, we might test studio stuff, we might test, uh, you know, just a whole variety of different types of content. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing when it comes to page experiences. So whether they're landing pages, whether they're listicles, articles, partnerships with companies like Morning Brew. And then, of course, the last piece of it is the merchandising. So everything from offers and pricing to products to, you know, what gets people in the door? What's the best product to sell them after that? And subsequent to that, you know, how do we optimize for brands that are high consumption? You know, how do we focus on subscription? How do we keep customer lifetime value high? How do we bring back repeat purchase rate without having to spend money to reacquire that customer? The goal is to figure out, you know, an overwhelming majority of those types of things out so that by the time we're done, there's a very clear playbook that they can operate on for the next, you know, few months or a few years. Interesting. So I'm assuming that when you were working at Hint and other places, you started seeing kind of similar things that were working and weren't working. Can you tell me a bit about, you know, what it was like working at those companies or maybe you started uncovering a few universal truths around D to C? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, working at Hint was great. It was a lot of fun. We we grew really fast, which led us to um, to a lot of challenges that we were able to overcome. But it, it kind of gave me a lot of insight into this, into the challenges that a lot of the brands face. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think customer acquisition is one of the biggest you know, biggest things that brands, you know, don't necessarily understand or distribution, uh, which is, I think, one thing we're really good at. But then after that, you know, after you get to a point where you're able to acquire a thousand customers a day sustainably and at at reasonable prices, then how do you take those customers and service them further? How do you come up with products that feed those customers, you know, after what they've already bought, if it's not a high-consumption product? How do you think through, you know, unique partnerships that attract eyeballs that then give you the opportunity to sell those customers onto your brand? There's just so so many, um, so many things. Basically, it it all stems down to distribution. And, you know, brands, brands are usually really good. Good brands are really good at product and brand building. But then the idea of then getting that in front of other people is where the tough part comes in. And so how do you approach customer acquisition now 
where maybe it was different than, you know, prior to 2020, because it feels like there's so many new companies in the space, maybe not all of which will be here in a couple of years. I mean, you know, there's a lot of companies, I think more businesses launched in 2020 than in 2019 in um, prior years. So how do you approach, you know, trying to compete and get the eyeballs and find new customers for your brands in a pretty competitive market right now? To be honest, we we don't really take competitive brands into account. Mm-hmm. What we try to do is just be really innovative with the way that we message and get in front of people. So, you know, for example, something as simple as like Judy, which is an emergency kit, you know, being able to really hone in on, on understanding, you know, whether it be by surveys or by looking at what types of messaging has better click-through rates and conversion rates, understanding the types of messaging that people are reacting to and then going really deep on it all the way to, you know, coming up with, with funky partnership ideas, like, you know, putting Poopery and Judy together because both (laughs) brands service emergency situations. That's a really good partnership. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was great. But, you know, it's, it's really just about like, how do we stay kind of ahead of, of competition? Most brands today probably run a very similar playbook of like, let's create some you know, create, take some images, put some ads up and run them to our homepage. Yep. We kind of put that on steroids where we're testing, you know, maybe 17 different versions of creative. We're testing seven different versions of landing pages or homepages or, or sites that they're leading to along with like, you know, 37 different audiences that we're going after to understand, you know, which type of messaging converts better with which audiences. That's great. So how do you think about creating all those different types of messaging? Like, how do you stay creative? I know when I'm thinking through ad copy, you know, even for our company, once I create like one or two or three, then I'm kind of like, that's all I got. I'm out. So like, yeah. how do you guys stay creative and, you know, create like, what do you say? 17 different landing pages. I mean, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. Well, I have a team that's insanely creative. So that helps. Yes. That's helpful. <laughs> but outside of that, I think, you know, one thing we do, which is honestly something anybody can do is, um, we try to look at every single review. So if we work with a brand, we try to read every single review and we, we will literally use a whiteboard and make a tally of the different value props and how many times they're mentioned mm-hmm. and then use that to basically work backwards and understand messaging. So things like that to things like looking at comments on ads to customer service emails and, and messages to how are other people tweeting about it how are other people taking press about a brand and then tweeting about the press or talking about that, you know, that specific article. So we try to take in a variety of things and, uh, and then if all else fails, you know, have a little glass of whiskey and take an approach with some fresh eyes. That's good. So when it comes to large brands and small brands, I mean, we've been going through some of these challenges, but are the challenges the same? for both big and small, or do you see completely different challenges depending on the size of the brand? I think that a lot of the challenges on the macro side are the same, but on the micro, so on the macro side, for example, customer acquisition, right? A company that's doing 800 million versus a company that's just launched, both are going to be, you know, focused on how do we acquire customers smarter, better, faster, cheaper, you know, with higher lifetime value. Mm -hmm. But on the micro side, it's a little different because, you know, a company that's doing, you know, even even 50 million in revenue has a lot more awareness to play off of. They have a lot more scale to go leverage things like partnerships with other brands. 
they have budgets to go to places like the skim and morning brew and, and, and other places like that versus a company that's just starting, you know, they still have the same problem of customer acquisition, but they need to figure out, you know, even if they, they raised a little bit of money or if they didn't, they need to figure out, okay, what is the fastest way for us to get, you know, a hundred customers and then a thousand customers and then 10,000 customers and then 50,000 customers. And obviously every time you, you hit that milestone, um, you know, it gets easier and easier, but it's still the same, you know, that's the challenge of how do you get in front of, you know, as many eyeballs as possible to then, and also relevant eyeballs, right? You don't want to get in front of just eyeballs that are not going to convert for you. Yep. Are there any tools that you use to stay on top of maybe trends or what people are searching for, or even, you know, staying on top of like different kind of audiences to reach and how to reach them in new ways, like new things you're doing maybe this year that you weren't utilizing in the past? One thing that we have started doing a lot more this year versus years in the past is like really not taking creative too seriously. Yep. So for example, like running memes as ads insanely outperforms things like really beautiful $30,000 photo shoots. Yep. Or, um, you know, the way like, do you use TikTok? Yes, I do. I love TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm addicted to TikTok. Yeah, it's great. So with TikTok, you know, I think if you look at the way TikTok has impacted culture or pop culture, I should say this year, it's pretty fascinating. Like when Instagram was big and there were Instagram models or, you know, even um, you could even say like, yeah, you could probably say even like you big YouTubers, you know, they don't really make news or make headlines, mm -hmm. uh, nor do they get, for example, flown out to fashion shows internationally to come, you know, walk in a runway. But TikTok has just completely like taken 2020. And, you know, whether it's like TikTokers being flown out to Rome for for Fashion Week or it's, um, you know, the fact that like all of Snapchat discovers, you know, tabloid garbage is all TikTok influencers. Yep. There's something about TikTok that resonates really well with the masses. And so one thing we've been doing is testing, not only just testing like TikTok style videos, but also like even the way, like if you look in the comments of TikTok, I think the comment section is where the memes of tomorrow or like the memes of next month live. Oh, that's good. And so we've been doing a lot of things where we test those. Um, and those have been having really interesting results too. I like, so give me some examples. Just really like, again, just a bunch of testing and like fun stuff. I mean, like my favorite is the, you know, you know, for example, if you were like, um, this podcast is the perfect podcast for e-commerce operators, you would put like the word operators in between the sparkles emoji, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, yep. or just, just like random silly things mm -hmm. that you see on TikTok. Interesting. Yeah. It's hard to explain, but it's it's uh it it just works so well. No, yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah, well, tell me some of the most interesting comments that you've seen on TikTok that you've turned into memes. Well, the sparkles one is probably the easiest. Yep. Let's see. Outside of that, um, you know, the eye mouth eye, I think is hilarious. Yep. The the concept of like it's the blank for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's just so many little like inside jokes on TikTok that that become so. So not only relevant on the outside world, but also like people see it and they relate to it because they think they're the only ones that know about it because TikTok is such like a one-to-one -one thing, you know? Yeah. And then when you're talking about creating TikTok style ads, I'm assuming you're saying that you're kind of creating an ad like you would, you know, create a video on TikTok and then you're actually putting it on other channels and platforms. Is that kind of what you meant by that? Yeah. 
I was just thinking about that actually a couple of days ago. You know, my uh, head of growth is like, oh, can you create some audio ads and video ads and all this to, you know, help promote the shows or whatever? And I was like, well, what's the easiest way for me to do that? Honestly, creating it on TikTok, even if it's an unlisted video, yeah, it's so much easier than, you know, trying to do anything else. Oh, 100%. The best ads in e-commerce are ones that do not look like billboards on the street. Yep. And that's that's where a lot of brands go wrong is that when it comes to ads, they try to create this unique experience or this look that doesn't resonate with the common person. And um, they, you know, it's like no wonder they don't work because they look like, like if you see an ad, you're just, you're, there's no chance you're going to sit there and be like, oh, an ad, let me watch this whole ad, yep. right? All your ads have to feel like they're not ads. They have to feel like content that somebody, you know, maybe not wants to watch or needs to watch, but something that's like intriguing enough where they're going to watch, you know, the, the first little bit. And then it's your job as the brand to hook them to watch the rest of it. Yeah, I love that. So the other thing now that we're talking about, you know, influencers kind of and spreading things, I heard that your fridge is famous and I want you to to tell me a bit more about this because when I heard that, I'm like, is Nick an influencer? Like, why is his fridge famous and you're known for your fridge? So give me the deets on this. Yeah, the fridge, the fridge racks up impressions. That's for sure. Why? Why? What is up with your fridge? Is it a fancy one? I'm just trying to look up real quick how many uh, impressions the last one got. But no, it's funny because, you know, Obviously, I worked at at Hint, and I've worked with a bunch of different beverage brands. Yeah, so the last tweet about my fridge has 151,000 impressions. Why? What'd you say? It's nothing special. It's just the fact that like a lot of people know me as like a beverage, you know, beverage marketer, or beverage person, and so like I'm just looking at this tweet from September 14th, and my fridge has Tyka, it has Empathy Wines, it has Jot Coffee, it has Dose which is like a new wellness shot. It has June Shine, which is hard kombucha. It's got Sanzo. It's got um, Olipop, Red Bull, Orgain Protein Elements, which is a adaptogens beverage, and then a bunch of hint water. So it's a D2C fridge. You're just stocking it up. <laughs> it's basically a D2C fridge, yeah. Uh-huh. And then, you know, depending on when you open it, you might see different drinks. Like there's another picture of the fridge I'm looking at. It's all rice cold brew. It's got um, Lemon Perfect, and it's got Chacha Matcha's iced tea lemonades. Interesting. Interesting. And then, so how are people engaging with this? I mean, how did it even start of you posting this picture and realizing people like to see what, what you were trying out or what you were investing in or like what, what made them excited? Well, it started because a friend of mine, um, David Perel Mm -hmm. basically posted a picture of my fridge. Um, I want to say when, yeah, when I first moved to New York last year, And, um, or I think he might've done it when I lived in San Francisco, but then he posted about it, uh, and, and how like my fridge is basically a vending machine. Uh And then all these beverage companies started responding. And then whenever I tweet about my fridge, I just get a flood of packages over the next 10 days from different beverage brands um, (laughs) that want to be included in the next round of, uh, of the fridge. (laughs) That's, that's really (laughs) funny, but I also feel like it's helpful to kind of see, you know, how to share things that get shared that go viral, because, you know, the best way to advise brands and other people is by doing it yourself. 100%. And that's been that's always been the thesis behind any kind of public account that I have. It's like, I don't, you know, whether it's my community number, whether it's my email newsletter, whether it's my Twitter account, 
everything that I, I try to do is like, okay, I'm basically just testing it so that, you know, we can hopefully do this on a brand and it makes a big impact because, you know, maybe it's something that they haven't done before or, or just people in general haven't done before. Yeah, that's very, very cool. So when you're working with all these brands, one thing that we've been discussing here at Mission Lately is just about all these new users who are now online, you know, a new demographic group is online shopping, they're getting used to it, they're going to be here probably for the long haul now that they, you know, have maybe ordered groceries or gone on Amazon for the first time. How are you working with your brands to ensure that their messaging and their interaction, and that they're maybe personalizing things in a way that also connects with this new, you know, demographic of shoppers that weren't here, you know, prior to 2020? So basically, um, how, how should brands prepare for? Yeah, having like an older generation now who are ready to shop. And, you know, I'm sure the messaging or the way that brands are personalizing is usually towards, you know, millennials or, you know, 18 to 35 or 18 to 40. Mm -hmm. Like everyone seems to focus on that same two generations. But the older generation are the ones that have the money. (laughs) They're the ones who are ready to spend. They just haven't brought it really online until recently. Totally. But it seems like a lot of things have to change, you know, for it to also work well with them. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, um, you know, tactically, there's different things you can do, uh, you know, whether it's the channels that you choose to advertise on. So whether that's, you know, shifting budget out of Facebook and onto platforms like TV and satellite radio and connected TV even, Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, one thing that I found at a previous brand I worked with was that the creative we would put out that has, you know, let's say models or talent that looks like they're in their late twenties, early Mm thirties is what resonated best with the audience groups over 45. Oh, interesting. So it might just even be something as simple as a shift in your creative to reach those new people. I wonder why that would be the case. I think it's, it's, uh, I mean, everybody aspires to be like a, you know, better looking or younger or, you know, smoother skin or whatever it may be. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and that might be a reason. I think another way, though, too, is like, you know, thinking through just the ease of how something as simple like your website functions, right? Yep. How easy is it for somebody to come in and shop? I always like send landing pages or websites to my mom yep. who's, you know, she, she'll look through it and be like, this is confusing. Or she'll be like, this is perfect. It was one click and I was in the cart. Yep. And so we always go for the latter as the goal. But, you know, the other thing, too, is like, one thing I always say is you got to treat your customers like like Kim Kardashian on the red carpet mm-hmm. and you're her assistant, right? The brand is the assistant. So you can't expect your customer, you can't expect them to go browse around your site and learn about your brand and learn why they need your brand or how that your brand is going to make their life better or the deal that they might be able to get or the coupon. You know, there's so many brands that like they they clearly offer coupons when you Google for example, like, I don't know, if you Google, like, we'll, we'll say Jet Black because they're not out of business. If you Google Jet Black coupon, there's probably 17 coupon sites that have a 10% or a 20% off coupon. Mm-hmm. But what you do is you now create an opportunity for somebody to leave the experience of checking out to go find that coupon. There's a good chance they just get distracted, never come back yep. versus something as simple as like, you know, basically what I'm trying to say is like, you want to create everything or you want to put everything in one simple experience so that somebody who has no time, somebody who has no patience, somebody, you know, you could assume they don't have the knowledge of how to navigate a site. 
can basically come to your site and get what they need and they know why they're getting it and that's and just create something really you know easy to use yep yeah i think frictionless shopping is the way of the future i mean the one thing about coupons though i feel like they're just dangerous i mean like you said you leave the site and i mean i know i used to back in the day go through all these coupon codes and then i'd really get annoyed because none of them were working all of them were expired and yeah, it still feels like there's room, you know, even on a website to be like, you will never find coupons outside of our website. So don't try. Like, don't go looking around. Yeah. Don't go testing like a thousand different codes. You'll find nothing. It's only here. Totally. I mean, the other thing too is like, you know, then you have companies like Honey, yep. the browser extension, which are basically fraud companies, in my opinion, Yeah. or scammy companies. And if you don't create something of an offer for, let's say you run... um you know, let's just say a beverage brand called three stars, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody comes to the three star site and they want to buy a variety pack because they're a new customer and they want to try the flavors When they get to the checkout and, and they see, Oh, there's no discount. Oh, but honey says, you know, the honey thing pops up and um, you click it because you're hopeful that there's a discount. Even if honey generates no discount, honey's going to refresh the page. And um, now that becomes a 10% affiliate cut. The brand is paying the honey without them even realizing it, the customer is not getting any value out of it. But because you didn't create the opportunity for them to check out without having to use Honey, you're now going to end up paying Honey 10%. Oh. If they if they have it installed. Interesting. I didn't realize that was how it worked on the back end. Yeah, Honey's a really scummy business. <laughs> it's really scummy for brands. Oh, jeez. I hate Honey with a passion. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I actually think we had um, someone from Honey it was a long time ago before our commerce show was even live in the world. We had, I think, their COO yeah. on um, one of our other shows, Mission Daily. So if anyone's interested, go check out the episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a genius business model for them, right? Yeah. Like Basically, without showing the customer or without really showing the brand, they're just ripping 10% off of every purchase. Yep. And if you're selling like a $400 you know, emergency kit, that's 40 bucks that they're making for everybody who just has an extension on installed. And the brands can't control that? Like they can't say? No, they can now. Okay. Like, you know, when I saw it, I went to them and said, you guys, you're basically just taking credit for everything you're not driving. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's just the way that Honey works. We drive a lot of traffic. And I'm like, no, you don't. So then we just shut them off. And, you know, obviously there's nothing, they just don't get paid now, even though they can still mm -hmm. be used. Oh, interesting. So when thinking about outside of coupons, but more ways to, you know, connect with different users. What do you think about catalogs? Because we had a good discussion, I think many episodes ago with one of the execs at Marine Layer, and she was talking about how great catalogs work for them. And I haven't heard many people talk about it. So it seems like there's still an opportunity there, though, with so many people now working from home. And I mean, I know I get excited about mail that's actually fun to look at and, you know, helpful. So how do you advise your brands on connecting with, you know, an audience through catalogs or, you know, paper mail? I mean, personally, I'm a fan. Like, I think it's a sign of luxury mm -hmm. when I get a catalog, yeah. whether it's from, um, you know, a company like Buck Mason or, you know, Todd Snyder or Kuyana. Like, it's definitely a sign of, of luxury. You know, the catalogs themselves are printed on very nice and chic paper. Mm -hmm. And I think it just adds to the kind of the overall experience of being a customer at those brands. At the same time, if you're, you know, if you're a brand that's just starting and you don't have 
the capital means to do it. I think there's ways you can create digital catalogs for fairly cheap and have them be kind of digital experiences. Yep. And how do you, when you have a catalog, I've heard some brands kind of optimize for experience and fun and, you know, more of like a branding play sure. versus others are focused on, you know, send them back to the website, you know, get the conversion. How do you think about optimizing a catalog to work well? I think it's two ways. One is, is uh, one, you got to feature products that I think people want. So yep. if your, you know, spring collection is 250 pieces of clothing or 250 different SKUs, you know, maybe you feature the, the 27 that people really want. But then secondly, I think from a messaging standpoint, it's got to be, it's got to really like make you salivate when you're, when you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Like Trader Joe's catalog? <laughs> yeah. My favorite. That was like one of my favorite things about, um, do you remember Sky Mall? Yeah. Yep. Like Sky Mall just made you want to buy everything in that magazine mm-hmm. because everything was like, oh, a random flashlight for under my desk chair. Sure. <laughs> that now seems like something I totally need. Yep. <laughs> yep, I agree. I just saw something in a catalog that I actually ended up buying. It's a, um, what is it? A candle lighter, but it's not, you know, like a big flame thing. It's operated by battery and it has this really long stick on the end and it's intense. It's awesome. Everyone should check it out. We'll link it up in our show notes. But I bought that from a catalog because it was showing it going inside a really deep candle. I was convinced and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's all about like showing, building you want to build a use case for somebody to go tell their friends why they bought what they bought from you. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's like the best way to market. I think you also have to have good paper quality though. I hate the catalogs that come 100%. with just like icky thin paper and there's just like a thousand pages and I'm like, it doesn't feel curated. Just everything's here. I don't even know what like how to look through this in a way that makes sense for me totally. versus the ones that are just, you know, 10 pages it's what you want to look at or it's just the best things. It feels like it's kind of personalized, even though it's probably not. Like I'm okay with that as long as it feels high quality. Totally. So let's jump over to a little bit um, higher level e-commerce question of kind of where do you guys think e-commerce as a whole and D2C is headed over the next couple of years? Like what are you preparing for right now? Or what are you? what big bets are you making? Well, I think that e-commerce as a whole is going, I mean, there's been a ton of innovation this past year and the year prior, both on the side of operations, you know, things like understanding, you know, you have, you can't blow cash on acquiring customers all the way to understanding, you know, how to, how to optimize like shipping costs or manufacturing costs, or or even using tools like Settle, which let you basically hack your cash flow. Mm-hmm. I think to be honest, over the next year or two, it's just going to be a lot of growth in the category across many different categories that maybe thought they weren't going to be e-commerce. So, you know, everything from sitting at a restaurant and now, you know, obviously we see QR codes kind of everywhere, at least in in major cities at restaurants for scanning and getting the menu. You know, I think we're going to see that you're going to start paying your bill through Apple Pay after you order your meal all the way to, you know, things like better experiences with um, packaging and unboxing, or just how you kind of learn about a brand for the first time after you buy it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also going to be, you know, a kind of a a rise in things like marketplaces. There's a company that I just joined called The Fascination. And basically the entire idea behind The Fascination 
is to take a lot of these cream of the crop, direct to consumer CPG brands that are independently trying to acquire the same customer and you know, basically put them together, create content around it and create shoppable content. So for example, if you have a daughter who's moving to, you know, or maybe, I don't even know if people are gonna be going to college next year, but let's say she's going to college next year and it's like the, you know, the ultimate list of things you need for your dorm. It's got your mattress topper. It's got your pillows, your comforter. It's got your desk lamp. It's got organizers. Like you would be able to basically shop all of this in one page with one checkout through the fascination. Mm-hmm. And on the back end, all these brands are getting orders basically pushed into their uh, order queues. The fascination basically just takes a tiny cut like an affiliate. Um, but the brands own the customer, they own the relationship with their customers, they have the ability to remarket to those customers. And the fascination kind of acts as a front of acquiring the customer and now selling, you know, maybe, you know, eight things at once. Oh, that's, that sounds really cool. I mean, I think that's much needed with so many new brands popping up right now, too. It just feels like sometimes I don't even know who to trust and, you know, who's actually got their back end filled out. Is this just a landing page that they're testing out to see if, you know, people actually want a product that they haven't even developed yet. Sure. So it seems like it's needed to have, you know, a trusting source like that to say, you know, these are some of the best brands and we verified them and, you know, you've got customer service here and we're reputable and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is there, there is a lot of, there are a lot of sketchy brands that have launched, you know, because the barrier to entry is so low. Yeah. So what the fascination is trying to do is basically, you know, the same way you have like a kosher sticker on food items or a gluten-free sticker that's very universally known. I think they're going to basically try to do the same thing, but for, for brands. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check that company out. Maybe bring them on the show. Sounds like a good one. Yeah. Yeah. They would be a great one to bring on. Yeah, the other trend I'm excited to watch this next year is Last Mile and see how that evolves, especially with, you know, the food delivery companies and, you know, the DoorDashes and Grubhubs of the world starting to actually just work with local retailers to fulfill, you know, last mile deliveries. And I think that whole industry is about to have a big evolution. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting one to to watch. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, companies like Ojai or even Fast AF, you know, they're doing some pretty awesome things when it comes to last mile delivery. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Nick? I'm ready. All right. What's up next on your reading list? Um, I would say the book Supermaker by Jamie Schmidt. Oh, that's a good one. Yep. Sounds good. What is your favorite business book that you refer back to? Atomic Habits. And you're on it. You're like, already top of mind. I got this. That's great. What topic or trend do you not understand today that you wish you did? Bitcoin. <laughs> I've had a couple of people say that. <laughs> What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Um, the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me yeah. is... I had to stump you. You were too on it. You were too lightning. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, honestly, my favorite is when just people just reach out randomly and say, hey, how's your day? <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Sometimes I'm like, what do you want? Get to the point. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can tell when people have like a reason for asking. Yeah. But you know, when a genuine friend just texts you out of the blue and just says, Hey, how's your day going? Oh. It's always nice to get that. Yep. Yep. Okay. A friend. I thought you meant just like a random Twitter person. I'll get messages oh, on Twitter no, no, no. like, Hi, how are you? I'm like, yep. 
Oh, what? Who are you? Why are you asking how I am? That's weird. <laughs> uh, 2020. Uh, what's up next in your travel destinations when you can travel again? Where do you want to go? Um, I want to go to Jamaica, actually, with um, a friend of mine, Chris, Chris Hall, and uh, a few of his friends. He's got a pretty good setup there in Jamaica Nice for like quick trips out there. So I'm looking forward to hopefully in February, maybe go there for a few days and just um, unplug from work. Oh, that sounds fun. Chris, bring me out there as well. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> What's up next on your Netflix queue? Ooh, actually, there was... Um, Oh, I, I forget the name of the comedian, Andrew Scholes, maybe. Okay. He just launched a stand-up. I, I saw it yesterday and I added it to my list. So that's that's next up on my queue. Oh, sounds good. I'll have to check it out. If you like it, I'll check it out. Yeah. <laughs> what are you most excited about to add to your fridge next? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> There's a beverage that we are launching called Barcode, Barcode? in um, Q1 next year. Okay. With um, the the head trainer, the former head trainer of the New York Knicks, nice. um, who's also a, a, a big celebrity trainer, um, as well as with um, Kyle Kuzma, who's a, you know, a championship Lakers player. And it's basically a healthier version of Gatorade and it tastes incredible. And it's got kind of everything. It's like everything he would prescribe or give to his athletes, but bottled up in one drink. Oh, that sounds good. Because I do like Gatorade. Yeah. But then when I'm drinking, I'm like, I know this isn't good for me, but it's horrible for you. <laughs> yeah, it is delightful, though. <laughs> it is. All right. And then the last one, if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? Um, I've actually been thinking about this recently. It would probably be about the struggles of commerce in in that people go through. So it would only be focused on problems people have had in their business, not the successes and not focused on people who've successfully exited. It is strictly focused on people who have, for example, you know, not figured out how, you know, something works or how they're going to get through something. And I always, I don't know why, but I always keep thinking my first guest is going to be Paul, who's the founder of um, Pros, which is a hair care brand. Okay. I mean, I think that sounds great. I love stories like that where people can actually learn something. And because there's so many, you know, any media article is always like, oh, here's the end result. And now they're a billion dollar company. Oh, and they exited. Oh, they got acquired. It's like, right. well, what actually happened where they failed? Because I don't want to fail too. And I know they have some kind of knowledge of things that I could avoid. I mean, that's why I love biographies and stuff because you can read it and essentially accelerate your knowledge, you know, through that person's life and hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls they went through. Totally. And and not only that, but also then, you know, for all the people listening who might be starting a business or might be, you know, getting themselves into a position where they're not really sure what to do, it almost becomes an encyclopedia mm-hmm. where, you know, oh, Paul had no clue where to get, um, you know, pumps at low MOQs for his shampoo bottles. How did he figure out what they were and where he could find them and not get ripped off, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Or, uh, I always love the stories when people are going overseas to find manufacturers and hearing things yeah. that they encounter. I forget what brand we were talking to on the show where they like I went into one of the warehouses and they were selling apparel and they were like and all the employees were smoking and all the stuff smelled like smoke. And she's like, I would have never realized that unless I actually went over there and was kind of doing an audit before moving forward with one of them. Yeah, totally. Very cool. Well, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all your knowledge. Where can people find out more about you and Sharma Brands? Um, the easiest is is um, 
my website, which is just nsharma.co, or the second easiest, uh, which I read every tweet, every message is my Twitter, at Mr. Sharma. Awesome. Yeah, just go to Nick and say, hi, how are you? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.